The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome. Welcome to IMC and another, um, another day with um, the factors of the Eightfold Path. Today, um, we're going to continue on it with our third factor and um, with, with all of you and everyone that I know that may be thinking about this as, you know, even though they're not here, I know that some people will listen to these talks later. So in some ways, they, they are here, we're all connected and um, I am Bruni Davila, and uh, Chris, who coordinates the, the program on a monthly basis, she's on retreat today, so um, I'm covering for her and also happy to, to support her in her practice by um, being here and um, doing this. Um, Today, we want to introduce to you the third factor, which is uh, wise speech. And we will um, talk, um, we will split the different aspects that we want to talk about. I will talk, um, well, actually, Judy will, t will talk first, and then we'll pass it to me, and I will... Um, talk to you about um, the rest. I don't want to tell you everything at the very beginning. <laughs> it will unfold as we go. Um, a couple of logistical things. Uh, as I said, Chris is, is not here today. She's, 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 she's going to be back next month. And in terms of Talking of these factors and practicing them and um, continuing our reflections on w how they relate to our practice, we want to emphasize how useful it is to relax, to relax into them and um, to see that these factors are factors that they, they are to be practiced in our daily life, every, every day. Um, there's always opportunities to practice one or the other or several of them. So um, when I started uh, looking at them and studying them and practicing them, at the beginning, I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't get this thing, or I, I forgot this other part, and what about intention today? And at some point, I realized, oh, they're, they're all here together, and at some point, whenever they show up, they show up for me to practice. So um, I encourage you to, um, to meet them as, as they show up in your life, and if you see opportunities and recognize them, to to practice and when they're not absent, when they're absent and you realize it also to, to enjoy that, oh, I remember 
now I didn't do this today. Maybe I do. Um, I look at uh, intention. Maybe this this afternoon or right now. So. Um, Speech is a is a challenging is is a challenging one for for many of us, including um, myself, and um, is is a very rich uh, factor uh, to to look at in in many different aspects of our lives. Um, Mainly because, for me, it impacts not only myself, but it impacts others. Um, as, as you know, we, we started with a right view and right intention, uh, the first two factors which help us understanding how to engage in the path. And now with wise or right speech, we are moving more into how we live how we live our lives more into into um, seeing how we impact ourselves and others and and in in activities how we do things how we relate to others um, so with that i i Hope you enjoy the day, and um, I'm going to say a little bit about myself and let Judy introduce herself, and we can start. Um, so as I said, I'm Bruni Davila, and I've been part of the IMC community maybe for the past 10 years. And I started when I um, went through the chaplaincy program which is a wonderful program that is offered here. Um, I also have been um, managing retreats at the retreat center and registering some of you in uh, some of those retreats. Um, and serving, serving IMC in the Dharma in many different ways. Uh, before coming to IMC, I, I was um, involved and practicing um, since the mid-90s, something like that. Um, it's, it's just a wonderful practice. It has transformed my life. Um, so with that, uh, Judy, do you want to introduce yourself? Can you hear me? Yeah? Okay, hi. My name is Judy, and uh, I'm really happy to be here today. I... Um, I am filling in also for someone who thought they would be here today, and it turned out some family things came up, and they couldn't. But I'm really happy to be doing this with you, and especially with this area of right speech, just as, I mean, here, I'm talking to you. You're hearing me. This, this is stuff we do all the time. You know, how can we bring some, some skillfulness to that? To me, that's, that's very... Um, it's a heartful practice just for that reason because it's so present. But um, I'm sorry, I want to be telling you a little about myself. I'm a longtime practitioner, and I'm a Buddhist chaplain, and I work in hospice and also in hospitals. 
And here at IMC, I also uh, serve in different ways, and I've completely enjoyed that. Not simply the service, but the sense of community, which I find to be so, um, so rich in itself. I learn so much from being in community. I think we all learn from our friends, and we learn from our families. But this opportunity to learn with other people who are practicing this path with us, it's quite something. So... Thank you for being here. So before we dive in, are there any questions um, about the previous factor, uh, right intention? Um, any, any comments on that? Okay. So... Um. Oh, yeah, I can say a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yes. Thank you. Yes. So, um, so right view, with, I, I just want to summarize it a little bit so that it links into, into what we're going to be talking about. So we started with... Uh, right or wise view, and that gave us kind of the foundation of um, what it, uh, two different main perspectives. Uh, perspectives: one that uh, what we think, what we do, and what we say is consequential. Is is we're not um, living in, in a vacuum. Uh, our actions, what we say, um, what we think may impact others. Um, the other uh, main perspective that, that we also talked about was the perspective of the Four Noble Truths. And... Um, the Four Noble Truths, uh, summarizing them, we can say um, that with the First Noble Truth, we notice our suffering. We notice when we suffer. It, that's, that's the First uh, Noble Truth. Uh, the Second Noble Truth, uh, that... Um, we, through exploration, we discover what is that causes our suffering. We get, in, we get close to it. We learn to, uh, once we notice it, we, we learn to understand it. And, and um, we get really, really close to it and see what it is, what are the causes that create our suffering. The third noble truth um, is when we start letting go or releasing, releasing the attachments that cause our suffering. And I like very much to show that also with a visual because um, in my experience when I've been in deep suffering, and, and I have noticed it. I have seen myself in this palm, the, the palm of my hand, closed in a fist. 
and and clinging to whatever it is that um, is causing my suffering. Uh, maybe something that I want that I don't get it at the time that I want it or um, the way that I want it. Um, so uh, I'm clinging, just like closing very tight this hand. But then with the third novel truth, I start releasing a little bit of of that clinging and little by little as I keep understanding and practicing deeply I keep opening that hand and I can then see what is going on and maybe it doesn't mean that I will completely I will just push it away and just turning my hand down like just to let go let go in this way, but letting go of the clinging and being able to see, oh, that is what is causing my suffering, and um, what choices do I have here? And um, the fourth noble truth um, is the one that uh, tells us uh, or shows us how to create the conditions that help us release our suffering what things I can do differently that maybe will help ease my suffering. So that was uh, right view. And then um, we talked about intention and uh, intention is the factor that uh, when um, is applied in conjunction with with right view. What are our motivations, the intention? Um, And and when we have them together, right view and intention, we can see see that um, we can leave or decrease or uh, alleviate our suffering. So that's why these two factors are known as getting to know, getting to understand uh, how to engage in the path um, for liberation. So with that, um, oh, and we talked about renunciation and goodwill and compassion with an intention. So that was the stage that that we've been setting in the past months and now um, going, as I said, into how now we live our lives. Um, let's start with um, wise speech this today. And uh, Judy, now I pass it to you. Thank you. Um, we're going to just start with just taking a few minutes to Settle our minds and our bodies. Uh, If you need to stretch, feel free to stretch sitting or even stand up and stretch your arms and back a little bit. And then, if you would, find your seat in a place that's comfortable for you. If you still have something on your lap, I would invite you to put it down, perhaps. And I would suggest putting, if you're sitting in a chair, then perhaps putting your feet on the floor, unless you're cross-legged like Bruni, that's fine. Um, But maybe not cross-legged that way. Um, And if you're sitting on the ground or on a cushion, 
then just making yourself as comfortable and maybe wiggling your, yourself around a little bit on your cushion or your chair uh, to feel as though your, your hips and your bottom are, are well centered and grounded and, and at ease. So take a moment to do that. And making a conscious choice about where you're placing your hands, somewhere where you feel that they're comfortable and you're happy to allow them to stay for a few moments. And if they're not already closed, allowing your, your gaze to drop or your eyes to gently close. Perhaps swaying your back from side to side or forward to back a little bit. Kind of getting a sense of where center is so that your back is straight but not stiff. And the same for your neck and head. If you find it helpful, then allow your head to go from side to side and then kind of come to a, to a center place that's comfortable for you. Sort of imagining a nice straight line that's not stiff from the top of your head to the bottom of your spine. Now just noticing the support of the chair or the cushion beneath your bottom. Actually bringing your attention to that sense of support. Now taking three deep breaths, deeper than normal, where you breathe in through your nose, could be three to five, and out through your mouth, making the out-breath at least as long as the in-breath. So at your own pace. Perhaps one more. Now allowing your breath to return to its normal pace, breathing in and out through the nose. Just staying with the breath, allowing your attention to stay with the breath wherever you find it most noticeable. Perhaps that's your belly or your chest or your nostrils. If a thought arises, just gently bringing your attention back to your breath. Now, considering several questions that I'll read to you one at a time to help each of us consider our intention with this practice. So the first one, there will be three. If anything were possible, 
how would I really like to speak to others? Perhaps just a word or two, what's up for you? But I'll repeat it. If anything were possible, how would I really like to speak to others? Now, question number two. If anything were possible, how would I really like to listen to others? Again, just perhaps a word or concept or two that come up for you. How would I really like to listen to others? And then for number three, perhaps bringing them together a bit, what do I really wish to offer the world with my practice of right speech? What do I really wish to offer to the world with my practice of right speech? (coughs) Now as this brief meditation draws to a close, notice your own intentions for this beautiful practice that we'll be engaging in this month. Beautiful, but not not easy. Simple, perhaps, but not easy. Mm. And then gently allowing your eyes to open and noticing the space around you and the people in the room with you. So welcome to this practice of right speech. Um, I'm rather amazed that here I am talking, I'm blabbering away. I'm I'm talking to you, you know, for better, for worse. But it's this practice of how we speak to one another that's coming up for this practice. So um, within right speech. I'll just quickly overview it, the four areas we'll be looking at, and I'll be talking to you specifically about how we, how we live with this idea of telling the truth, of abstaining from falsehood. But the four areas that we'll both be talking about, and Bruni will be picking up the others, usually incorporate in this practice false speech, abstaining from false speech, abstaining from slanderous speech, abstaining from harsh speech, and I love this last one, abstaining from idle chatter. 
Um, I'm amazed that I didn't get that one. I should have, but I didn't. Um, So Bhikkhu Bodhi points out that for all of the ethical practices in Buddhism, and this is considered one of that grouping of ethical practices, how we are with others in the world, as Bruni said. Uh, He says that um, they're not really about obedience as much as they're about harmony. I thought, what's that mean? I thought, well, I guess it's harmony in our world. And, and I, for me at least, it's, it's that intrinsic something inside that feels right with the world when I behave in a particular way. What is it that allows me to feel some ease in my life? And I find that right speech really, really moderates that in a big way. If I've spoken with some skillfulness, I feel it really contributes to my feeling kind of easy with people. But if I don't, if I snap at someone, if I'm harsh for a moment, uh, if I say something that may be true, but it's not really, really true in my heart, I start, what do I start? I start fretting about it. I get uncomfortable about it. I'm not at ease. It really changes my experience of my own life and how I am with others. So, so I'd like to uh, get us started with this, um, this idea of abstinence from false speech. And Bhikkhu Bodhi also says that each of these different ways of looking at speech have two aspects. There's the what we abstain from, and then there's what we do. So it's what's our abstinence and what's our commitment. And as I said, I'll be talking particularly about um, abstinence from false speech, from false speech. And interestingly, I thought I'd start with um, how we listen, how we listen. Because if I'm speaking, this is a little unusual, right? I get to talk at you a bit, so I'm speaking and you're sitting there. But in our normal lives, we would be having a conversation. So what would I say? When would I speak? It would have a lot to do with what I hear. And how do I listen? What is that all about? So I've got to assume that listening is something that's very familiar to every one of us. And some of you that are in here, I would call professional listeners, other people that are chaplains or people that might be therapists. But all of us are listeners. We listen to our partners. We listen to our children. We listen to our parents. And we listen and we respond. We listen to our friends. So what's listening? So I thought about that. And I invite you to think about that. And I know you will be thinking about that in this month, in this amazing practice. But um, I thought I'd share with you what comes up for me. So I find one of the things that really influences how I listen is whether or not I think I know what the other person is going to say. Or if I think I know what they, what you are like. I'm about to sit down and talk with you, but I know you. I know what you're like. Pretty much know where you're coming from. I may not know the content of what you're going to talk about, but I think I know you, right? This is certainly true of my 
for me with my friends, for me with my husband, for me with my brother. I don't know how that is for you, but I I think that's in there. Even though I don't like to think I'm a know-it-all, that's in me. Um, So what I've found to be helpful is, as best I can, to be curious. To say, I don't really know. I don't know what my brother David's going to say to me today if he calls me later, and he sometimes does on Sundays. He'll call me from Boston. So I think, oh, he's going to talk about his kids, and he's going to talk about how he's worried about the... I don't know that. I don't know what's going on in his world right now. And if I assume that I do, even inside me without saying it, I think he'll feel that. I think he'll get that. And I think he'll be different with me because of what I think I know. So to me, it's this practice of um, uh, humility, maybe, uh, of not knowing. And um, it's not that I don't know my brother. It's not that I don't know his name's David, and I don't know things that I would say, how's this going for you in your life right now? But it's, it's being curious. You know, what's going on for you? So I would offer that as one practice that you might like to consider the not knowing stuff. Mm. And then um, here's one that I like that came up with for me in something that I've been doing with other people and it has to do with um, facilitating some exercises with people where they're in a group, small groups together and when they're listening to one another what I invite of them is I invite them to listen to each other with their whole bodies. So it's not a normal conversation when you're in a small group, but how do you listen with your body? not quite sure what that means, but I think somewhat it means that we're not sitting there like we might when we're angry, sitting there like this. Unless we're freezing. I get cold really easily. But, you know, to some degree, being open. And it might mean not staring at someone so hard that they don't know um, what we're thinking or what we're wondering, but just having kind of a relaxed gaze. Hmm? Or maybe even looking down a little bit and just listening. So that's a thought. How do we listen with our bodies? How do we notice in our own bodies how we feel when we're hearing people talk to us? So, I don't know about you, but I often forget that. But I can learn to remember it. So I can remember it. Sometimes for me it's pausing, taking a breath, dropping in. Noticing if my belly's tight. Noticing if my jaw is tight. Just noticing those things a little bit. And then you can just still be there. You can just soften a little while you're there. But notice those kinds of impacts on you, what you're hearing. It it can be helpful and it can help ground you and bring you back to the present moment. If your mind wanders away, it can also help you remember, ah, this this is where I am. I'm sitting in this chair. I can feel it right here. Okay. So these are all things you'll practice with this month. So that's a little bit of how we listen, and we'll have a chance to practice listening um, today. We'll have a breakout group after, after I talk for a while, and Bruni will talk for a while. We'll have another breakout group, so you'll get to speak, you'll get to listen. But uh, besides listening, I thought I would bring up the subject of mindful speech. Mindful listening and mindful speech. Okay. So for mindfulness, I would invite you to consider the word notice, noticing. 
So you're noticing how you are when you're speaking, a little bit by noticing how you are in your body, a little bit by checking in with yourself as you're speaking. Is there anybody here who's ever had something to say and you just keep talking? You don't notice how you are in your body? Or am I the only one? Anybody? Okay. So it's a practice, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's like practicing lifting weights or practicing scales on a piano. It, it, it's like a new practice to develop. It's a new habit to create. Can I create a habit of noticing how I am in the body and noticing what's going on around me? Okay. Mindfulness. And, oh, for mindfulness, there's something that I saw today online in Tricycle's Daily Dharma. I don't know if any of you ever get that. There will be like a a phrase or a sentence that comes online to my computer. And today it was by Bhantiji or Bhanti Gunaratana that you may have a book from for this Eightfold Path. And the particular one-liner, I call it, or maybe it's two sentences, he talks about what mindfulness is. And he says, today, mindfulness is cultivated by, I love this, a gentle effort. A gentle effort. Persistence, persistence and a light touch are the secrets. Mindfulness is cultivated by constantly pulling oneself back to a state of awareness, gently, gently, gently. So um, I thought that was so fitting for this practice today. And Bruni, I love what you said earlier about how it is a practice. Uh, This is not, for most of us, what our habit is. Uh, We started speaking when we were really little, and we just learned how to say, I'm hungry. You know, we learned how to get things that we needed from our family, our caretakers, whoever was looking after us. We didn't learn how to be mindful. So this is a whole new kind of habit if you haven't already developed it. So gently, 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 and continuously coming back. And I love that he married the word persistence with gentleness. So... The Pali word for mindfulness is sati, and the derivation there has its roots in something that has to do with remembering. And I find that to be a useful uh, way to frame it, because I think mindfulness, at least for me, is so often remembering to remember. It's not that we don't know how to do these things. We just don't remember to do them. So it's remembering to remember and being persistent and being gentle about it. And it builds a practice. I think the more you'll you'll do it more and more. You've already probably done it for many of you more and more. And the other thing I just love, many things I love about what the Buddha says, but there's one that I'd like to mention to you. He says, this is a gradual path. It's a gradual path. And I thought, oh, that's nice. I remember when I first heard that, oh, that's nice. And I keep coming back to it because I find that there are things that will unfold in my own practice that I don't even think I'm trying to practice anymore. But then I'll go, oh my gosh, I think I get it. Something that I had learned maybe a long time ago, but it hadn't really sunk in. 
So it is a gradual practice. I think that's beautiful. So as you practice this right speech, remember that it's a gradual path. So the third thing that I'd like to um, share with you and, and have you consider with me is this idea of um, that flip side that we mentioned earlier. There's the abstaining from falsehood, then there's the telling the truth. What's that mean? What's telling the truth? So we all have different ways of looking at that. Um, First, it just seems very simple. It's black and white. Telling the truth is telling the truth, right? But it's so interesting to stay with that and stay with it and stay with it. And what I've come up with is how do we tell the truth and still follow the guidelines that the Buddha gives about all of these practices where he suggests for a right speech that we be, what do we be? We say something that's beneficial. Hmm, there's telling the truth and there's being beneficial. Let me think about that. And then he, he suggests being respectful or kind. How do we say something that's kind? So for many of us, oh, that's easy when I'm with people that are saying things I want to hear. How do we say something that's kind when that's not the case? Or perhaps in the family I grew up with where my mother, very loving, and I adored her, but she thought it was really important to just say whatever came to her mind, whenever it came to her mind. That wasn't always all that skillful. And so um, sometimes that abstinence is just, just waiting, just refraining until there's the right time. When's the appropriate time? I mentioned my brother a few times. I think it's because he's on my mind, because he'll probably call me around 3 or 4 o'clock today. But he'll say things, and I'll, I've known him right from the time I was born. He's three years older than I am. And I'll immediately think, oh, I'm going to tell him this, or I'm going to say this in response to what he's just said. But if I stop and pause, that may be exactly what he does not need to hear right now. Probably the only thing he needs to hear is that his sister is there and that I love him. And I don't even need to say that. I just need to be there, maybe keep my mouth shut for once. So it's, it's a balance doesn't mean that we go around never saying anything. Here's another side. How do we say what's the whole truth when we usually just are quiet and don't say it? We just don't say the things that are disagreeable. Or we don't say the things we think someone else doesn't want to hear. Is that appropriate? Is that honest? And I'm not telling you the answer. I'm just raising the questions. But is it maybe appropriate to say what I'm thinking in a way that's kind? Is it perhaps the right time? Do I need to feel around in my inside somewhere and think, I, I think I need to share this with my brother right now. Is there a way I can say it that's not going to hurt him or anger him or distract him that's just offering something that's beneficial? What's that? So that's a lot. I think what I've just shared with you is a lot. Um, and what I'd like to do is invite you to um, work with these things with your whole heart. There's a word that often comes up in all the Buddhist practices, but I tend to see 
wholeheartedness as, a, as just a word come up in Zen practice. For some reason, that, that seems to be a, uh, a word they say a lot, but I just love it. Can we practice wholeheartedly with this? And that doesn't mean going over the top or being goofy about it, but just with, with our intention that you were just reflecting on, with our sincerity, with our humility and our, our curiosity. What can I learn in this? So I invite you to do that. And in a minute or two, I'm going to ask you to move into groups where you're going to share something, if you wish. But I'd like to give you a moment to reflect on what you want to share. So I'd like to tell you what I'm going to ask you to share about and then give you a minute or two to think about it. So when you get in the group, you'll have some sense of what you want to talk about. So um, uh, perhaps gently close your eyes or, or drop your gaze for a moment so you're kind of thinking inwardly at the moment. And here's the question. In the course of your lifetime, whether it's been a short lifetime or a long one, what do you feel are the important lessons that you have learned about how to speak and how to listen? And there may be a million. I would invite you to pick a few that you feel are the the ones that really matter for you. And I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a heads up. You'll have about two, three, three or four minutes to share within your group. So think of something that'll fit that sort of a timeline. So I'll repeat it once and then I'll give you another minute to think about it. In the course of your lifetime, What are the important lessons you've learned about how to speak and how to listen? Okay, so gently opening your eyes, I'm going to ask you to self-organize in groups of five. And you can sit in chairs or sit on cushions. Um, If you can, pick someone that's not your spouse or someone you talk to every time. Um, Or someone that that is one of your buddies. You know, see if you can pick some people you don't know so well. But if you can't and they're the people that are closest to you, that's fine. So go ahead. You can get up and move around. Just find five people and um, sit down together in a circle if you would. And then I'll, I'll tell you the instructions after that.